You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Student Pastor Josh Barnett. Welcome to, uh, welcome to part five of our Sermon on the Mount series tonight. I am going to be covering the end of Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 48. And I, wanna, I do want to read through it real quick, and then we'll go back and kind of dissect this a, a section at a time. So if you're there at Matthew chapter 5, you can follow along with me, starting in verse 33. It says, you have, you have also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows, you must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by the earth because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head for you can't simply turn one hair white or black. Just a simple yes I will or a no I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. You have heard the law that says punish, punishment must match the enemy, the, the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and do not turn away from those who want to borrow. You have heard the law, heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And that way you'll be acting as true children of your father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are only kind to your friends, how different are you from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. It's powerful. So powerful. So let's break this down here. In the first part, verses 33 through 37, Jesus is talking about making vows and oaths and promises and things like that. And This is important for Christians because, you know, as a believer, if we want to live righteously, then the words that come out of my mouth have to mean something. They are of utmost importance if I say that I'm a Christian. If I say that I'm a believer, then the things that I say have to have some weight to them. They have to mean something. This, this is a must. You know, in, in verse 37, Jesus makes it real simple. He just say, let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you say yes, I will, then do it. If you say no, I won't, then, then don't do it. You, you know, he's saying there's, there's no need for lofty promises. There's no need. Just be a man or a woman of your word. Just do what you say that you're going to do. Now, this part is based on the third commandment, actually. We, you know, the, the Pharisees had just, they had piled all kind of dust and stuff on the law over the year. And really the Sermon on the Mount is just Jesus coming and saying, like, we're going to quit all that. This is what I meant. This is what my father meant when he gave Moses these commandments. And so in Exodus 20, verse 7, the third commandment is do not take the Lord of your God's name in vain. Do not misuse the name of the Lord. Leviticus 19.12 says don't bring shame on the Lord by swearing falsely. And so what the scribes and Pharisees had done is they had twisted the law of you shall not take the Lord of your God in vain to permit taking virtually every other name in a false oath that you could swear by anything. And it was really... This manipulative thing that they were doing where they were, they were making promises to people. It's like making a promise and, keeping, and having your fingers crossed behind your back, not really meaning what you were going to say. Um, and, they had, and they had made this really like legalistic because like, well, you swore. Well, actually, 
I swore by Jerusalem. I didn't swear by God. And it was this weird manipulative thing where they could just kind of get out of, get weird legalistic thing. Basically, they were saying you could make an oath, a vow, a promise by swearing on something besides God, then you would have a way to get out of it. Because if you swore by God, then you would have to do it. You know, if you swear by your mama, then you got to go, you got to do it because you swore on your, by your mama. Um, so basically, they're just, they were giving themselves an out. And Jesus, remi- Jesus shows them here, if you swear by heaven, earth, Jerusalem, or even your head, you swear by God and your oath must be honored. Because he names those four things, heaven, earth, Jerusalem, and your head. These are the things that people were swearing on. Well, I swear by, well, I make a promise on heaven, or I make a promise on earth, or I make a promise on my head. And these things actually were all considered very sacred in the Jewish culture. And Jesus is showing it's not these things that will make you sacred. It's actually your words being true that will make you sacred. It's your words being true that will make you sacred. We got to remember in the Sermon on the Mount, as we've been going through this, that Jesus was always trying to get to the heart of people. Remember when, when he talks about murder, he said, if, you know, if you have anger in your heart, it's like you already murdered your brother. If you, Paul talked about adultery last week, and, and Jesus said, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery. And so Jesus was really getting to the heart of what people were doing. And so that's what he's focusing on here. And so even in our vows and our promises, it's the heart behind what people were doing. It, you know, why you are saying what you're saying. Why are you breaking promises? Why are you doing these things? And he's trying to get to the heart of us on this issue. And God gave us this law. Don't take my name in vain. He gave us this law for a few reasons. To keep man from dishonoring God. To keep man from dishonoring himself or ourselves. And to keep, to keep man from treating other people unjustly. Because we've got to understand, we, we take our names in vain by making promises and then betraying them. We take our names in vain when we make a promise and betray it. And when we take our names in vain, we actually take God's name in vain. Because we are created in the image of God. And so when we take our, we're dishonoring, by dishonoring ourselves and dishonoring our name, we are actually dishonoring his name. Because we are his children. We are a representation of him in this world. And when we dishonor ourselves, we're also dishonoring him. <coughs> by our, and, and by our speech, we can easily dishonor God. We can dishonor ourselves. And it, just a few verses here for you. Uh, James chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 says, But no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. James 5.12, but most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. James is echoing what Jesus said there. Colossians 4 verse 6 says, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response from everyone. Titus 2, 7 through 8, in everything, set them an example by doing what is good and your teaching show integrity and seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. And you know, if we do, if if believers will do what they say they're going to do, nobody really will have anything bad to say about us. If we'll let our yes be yes and our no be no, it's going to be hard for people to, to find bad things to say about us. We have to take everything that comes out of our mouth seriously. Vows that we make, oaths that we make, words, promises are so, so important because the things that we say that we're going to do or not do gives people a perception of us whether we follow through with that or not. You know, just 
just real practical here. If you tell somebody you're going to be there at 8 a.m., be there at 8 a.m. If you tell somebody that you're going to be on a job site at 8 a.m., be there at 7.55. If you, te- if you tell somebody you're going to do something, you got to, if we, if we tell our kids we're going to take them somewhere, we got to take them somewhere. If we tell our kids they can do something, we got to let them do it. We can't change our minds as just as the wind changes. Like we, if we make a promise, then we have got to do it. If you say that you're going to do something for somebody, do it. Or do something with this is uh, teenagers do this all the time. Uh, I'm the youth pastor here. And so I see teens do stuff like this all the time. They'll make plans and they'll only keep those plans unless something better comes along. Well, I'm going to go hang out with these people. Well, well then, well then she planned to go do this with her friends at the mall and I would rather go to the mall than her house. And so I'm going to cancel plans. and I'm going to go with her. No, we can't do that. That we have to be people of our word. We've got to be believers that, that aren't just going to change our plans when something better comes along. We've got to follow through. <clears throat> it, it, is it always going to be easy to keep our word? No. Is it always going to be convenient? No. I tell people I'm going to do things or my kids I'm going to do things. And then when it actually, it sounded good in the moment three weeks ago. But when it actually comes time, I'm like, man, I really don't want to do that. And it's so easy to just change our plans. It's so easy to just say, oh, sorry, something came up or whatever. But no, we've got to be people of our word. And that, sh- that honestly, that shows people that we care about them. It shows people that we care about them that no matter what, I'm sticking to what I told you that I was going to do for you. We as Christians have to be people of our word. Our word has to mean something on our jobs, in our church, with our friends, and most importantly, in our homes with our families. With our, with our wives, our, our husbands, and our, our kids. It, it has to mean something. Okay, in this, uh, moving on here in this next part, verses 38 through 42, Jesus begins to talk about revenge. Uh, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Don't resist an evil person. And then he says, but, but I tell you, if somebody, if somebody slaps you on the cheek, offer him the other cheek also. Okay, now we hear this. Jesus isn't, he's not really talking about being slapped on the cheek in our culture, in this culture, it was actually, it wasn't like an assault. It was like, it was like the back of a hand. They would, they would kind of just give you this little pat and it was very insulting. Probably one of the most insulting things you could do to somebody in that culture. And so Jesus here is, it's, he's really still talking about words, but he's talking about the way that we respond to insults. And so he's ta- he's talking about insults and how we're not supposed to seek revenge. Um, and so he, they were, they were using and abusing this law here. They had, they had mistreated this law. The Mosaic law did teach an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth in Exodus chapter one, verses 24. But over time, the religious leader had moved this command out of the proper sphere that it was meant for. This was meant to be a principle that limited retribution for civil government. And they, they had put it in the wrong sphere of, they had put it in an obligation of personal relationships. And so, you had, you had a lot of people doing things that they shouldn't have been doing. They should have let the government taken care of. Like, so if somebody, so if somebody came up and, and, you know, punched them or killed them or killed somebody they knew, then they would go and they would enact justice on their own part. So if somebody, if somebody came and they killed my dog, where well, I'm going to go and I'm going to kill something on their property, whatever I think is necessary. And when you let people act like that, it's going to get out of hand really fast. Because I'm, because, well, they killed my dog. Well, now I'm going to go kill all five of their dogs. 
because I'm angry or they, you know, they killed my kid. And so now I'm going to go kill their whole family. And so this revenge thing was getting out of control super fast. And what it was meant for was for the government to come in and say, okay, here's how justice is going to work. And the, the, the punishment is going to be equal to what the crime is that is committed. That's, that's what Jesus is saying here. So, you know, if a person was accidentally injured, you know, a whole family or village wasn't subject to retaliation. It was just the person that, that did that. So, and this law was really the beginning of mercy in a society that had gotten pretty merciless is what this was. So it limited retaliation to an equivalent injury. This law was given to the courts to guide judges in the execution of punishments. A murderer, a murderer was to pay with it. If he had murdered somebody, he was to pay with it with his own life. If someone, so if someone knocked out your tooth in a bar fight, you can't go kill their whole family. That's that. And so that's what it was uh, given this down to. This law was given to control irresponsibility. This law was given to control the unregulated passions of man. So I can't just get angry and go enact justice the way, ever, the way that I feel like it. So that's what Jesus is saying here. And he's saying that we're, we shouldn't bear a grudge. We shouldn't seek revenge. A Christian is not, a Christian is not supposed to be a revengeful person. We're just, just revenge is, revenge is mine, says the Lord. It's, a, it's on him. And if we let revenge come in, it'll eat away at us. It'll consume us. So we have to be careful that we don't, we don't fall into this. Leviticus 19.18 says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You know, and also talking about this, man must forgive, but we also have the right to resist evil. So Jesus is also not saying be a doormat and let, any, let, let people do whatever they want to you. Let, you know, he's, not say, he's saying turn the other cheek from an insulting slap. He's not saying if somebody comes up and cranks you on one side of the head with a baseball bat, turn around and let them get the other side. So he's not saying that, he's not saying that you can't defend yourself. That, that's not what Jesus is saying here. It, it, it's wrong to think that Jesus means evil should never be resisted. Jesus demonstrated with his life that evil should and must be resisted. <laughs> it, <ooh. laughs> and so when Jesus is talking about this, we have to understand that he's not talking about that we, we can't defend ourselves. It's also wrong to think that Jesus means that there's no place for punishment or retribution in society. Jesus here speaks to personal relationships and not to the proper functions of government in restraining evil. He's, he's talking about personal relations. He's talking about me, and, and I, don't, I can't just go and do what the, the police's job is. I can't just go and do what the government's job is. I have to give that over to the government. And, and, and God's, God called clearly in Scripture, he calls governments and churches to operate differently. He calls governments and churches to operate differently. He calls individuals and governments to operate differently. And Jesus here is talking about as an individual. I must turn my cheek when I'm personally insulted. It's the government's responsibility to restrain the evil man from physical assault. Can I defend myself? For sure. But, but it's the government's job to then put punishment on him. I can't just go, I can't just go you know, take him out. Uh, in verse 39... When he's talking about the slapping, he's not saying don't protect yourself physically. And, and listen, in their culture, it might have been a slap. In our culture, it's probably going to be words. In our culture, we're going to be, we are going to be insulted. And, and what he's saying is let it go. People are going to talk about you. People are going to criticize you. People are going to gossip about you. People, there's going to be rumors. People are going to say things that are mean. And Jesus is saying let it go. Let it go. Don't pay, don't pay no mind to it. 
Don't pay no mind to it. This, this slap or this insult, it would be to cause humil- humiliation. And if you don't give that person a reaction, guess what? They haven't humiliated you. And so they didn't get to do what they wanted to do to you. And so if you repay their evil with kindness, it, it stops it right, it puts an end to it right there. The kindness robs the persecutor of his ability, of his ability to humiliate you. The kindness robs the persecutor of his ability to humiliate you. The believer, we're supposed to forget self and self-rights and just live for the Lord. In a world full of disputes and bitterness and quarrels and fightings, we can actually live at peace with one another. And many times, you know, you get gossiped about, or you get criticized, or you get insults. If you don't respond, guess what it's going to do? It's going to stop. Because many times people who are insulting you or gossiping about you or doing something, they're looking to get a rise. They're looking to start drama. They're looking to stir something up. But if you can't be stirred up, they're going to move on. They're going to go, they're going to go find somebody else to try to stir up. In verse uh, 41 here, Jesus says, if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it too. In this day, oftentimes Romans, they would force Jewish men to carry their heavy items. And Christ is saying, if you're forced to go one mile, go two. He's not talking about your rights or even, you know, he's not, well, if they only have me carry it half a mile, then do I go two miles? He's not being legalistic about it. It's not about your ability to walk two miles. What Jesus is talking about is showing people the goodness and love of God, even when they persecute you, even when they slander you, even when they stab you in the back. Because by doing that, you will be a witness to people. You will be a blessing to people when they are cursing you. Again, this isn't a way to govern a nation. This isn't the way, he's not talking about it, protecting your family. This is about you as an individual not being revengeful. This is about you as an individual being able to forgive those who persecute you. And then in verse 42, he says, give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Now, he's not talking about giving to lazy people. He's not, talk, he's not talking about giving to lazy people. Second Thessalonians 3.10 says, if you don't work, you don't eat. Jesus is talking about your heart. He's talking about, are you generous or are you greedy? Are you be, he wants us to be generous. Are you a giver or are you greedy? You know, he's not talking about giving money to panhandlers. If you give $20 to somebody standing with a sign on the side of the road, you probably just bought $20 worth of alcohol or $20 worth of crack. That's what, you're, that's what you'll be giving your money to. I'm not saying that you can't help those people, but man, take them, take them down the road to McDonald's and buy them a meal. Bring them some groceries from Walmart, but don't just give, don't just hand out cash. Bring them a job application. Do something, do something to, I'm serious. Do something to, do something to help them out. Somebody that I knew saw a panhandler one time holding a sign that, that said that he, that he was hungry, that he needed food. He, the guy walked up and took a picture behind him was a McDonald's that had a sign on the door that said, that said now hiring. And the guy told him, I will go in there and buy you food until you are, I will feed you until you are sick if you will just fill out a job application and he wouldn't do it. And he wouldn't do it. And so we're not, I'm not talking about fun. Jesus isn't talking about funding laziness just because somebody asks you for, for a dollar. You know, if I come and ask you for your house, are you just going to give it to him? If I said that, can they just have your car too? He's not talking about funding laziness. He's talking about being generous with what we have. He's not talking about being unwise with what we have. He's talking about being generous and not stingy. This is about being generous with the things that he has blessed us with when people are in need that we are supposed to help them out. Now, last section here in verses, in verse 43 through 48, 
This is the, this is the tough one right here. Loving your enemies. Loving your enemies. We've got to understand that there is nothing more important to God than human relationships. There's nothing more important to God than human relationships. God is creating a family on this earth. He's creating a family on this earth. God's number one interest is people. His number one interest is people. Us, you and I, we're, the, we're his plan for this world. And verse 43 comes from Leviticus 19.18 that says, Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus had to address this because what the Pharisees and scribes had turned it into was just love your own race and love your own nationality. That we're just supposed to love Israel. We're just supposed to love, we're just supposed to love those that are like us. And really they, they had added on to it, you love your neighbor as yourself and then you hate your enemies. You hate your enemies. Jesus clearly was not about that in any way. They had turned this into this weird national pride thing that they were only supposed to love their literal neighbor. But when he says, love your neighbor as yourself, he means everybody. He means his neighbor and he holds the world in his hand. So everybody is his neighbor. And so we're supposed to love everybody as, as we love ourselves. John chapter four, very early in the gospel of John, we see Jesus break all the, the nationality bander, the boundaries, the race boundaries, the gender boundaries. He talks to a Samaritan woman. No Jewish man would be caught dead talking to a woman in the middle of the day. And he's talking to a woman, and not only just a woman, she's a Samaritan woman. Jews hated Samaritans. They were very racist against Samaritans. And John chapter 4 is actually the longest conversation that we have in the Gospels between Jesus and one person with a Samaritan woman. Jesus is, he's very, he's inclusive. For God so loved the world, world. So everybody is our neighbor. And, and so they, it's not about hating our enemies. If God, they, they thought if God said love your neighbors, then you must have to hate your enemies. No, Jesus is showing us that neighbor, he meant everybody. He meant everybody. And we as humans, it's very easily, very easy for us to hate those who are against us. It's very easy for us to, to harbor hate for those who are different than us if we're not careful. We must understand that everybody is our neighbor. And loving our enemies really goes, every, goes against everything in, inside of us, every, everything that we naturally want to do. In our, our human nature, we want to react. We want to strike back. We want, we want to wish hurt on people. But we've got to understand that Muslims are our neighbors. That homosexuals are our neighbors. That the white supremacist is my neighbor. That the Democrat, the liberal, the socialist, the conservative, the Republican, they're all my neighbors. I'm supposed to love all of them. Does that mean that I agree with all of them? No. But I'm supposed to love all of them. It's so much easier to just live angry at people. It's easier to live angry, but you're not going to have any peace. So much easier to just be mad at people and to hate people that disagree with me. But you know what? While the Romans were nailing Jesus to the cross, his words were, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them for they know. What, what if that was our attitude about everybody that persecuted us? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. We've got to understand that everyone born is a child of God that he desires a relationship with. Everyone born on this planet is a child of God that he desires a relationship with. Man, 
last week, two weeks ago maybe now, the massacre in, in Christchurch, New Zealand it broke my heart. Broke my heart. Gunman comes into a mosque and starts shooting up a bunch of Muslims. And our attitude cannot be, well, they had it coming, they were Muslims. That, as Christians, that can't be our attitude. But it's very easy to get caught up in the political spirit of things and we'll, we'll, mourn, over, we'll mourn over people getting shot in a church but not a mosque blowing up. They're all, we're all God's children. He desires a relationship with all of us. He sent Jesus for everybody, not just the ones that look like us. He sent Jesus for everybody. We've got to be sure that we are loving our enemies. This love doesn't mean that we just accept people's sin. This love means that we run after them with the gospel of grace that we've been given. That I share this great love with them that I've experienced. 1 Peter 3, 9 says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. And then he will grant you his blessing. Proverbs 15, 1 says, a gentle answer deflects angers, but harsh words make tempers flare. Proverbs 25, 21 through 22 says, If your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. If they are thirsty, give them water to drink. You will heap burning coals of shame on their heads, and the Lord will reward you. And Romans 12, 21 says, Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Verse 44 in, in Matthew 5, Jesus says to pray for those who persecute you, that we pray for our enemies, those who have wronged us, those who are currently wronging you. Let's just think about somebody in your life right now that has offended you. Jesus is saying, let it go. Forgive them. Forgive them. Don't hold that inside. It'll destroy you. Revenge is mine, says the Lord. Love them despite what they've done to you. As hard as it can be. It's not a natural thing. It's a supernatural thing. It's not a natural thing. It's a supernatural thing. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us and therefore he gives us the ability to forgive. He wouldn't ask us to forgive people if we couldn't do it. And he will help us do it. And sometimes you've got to choose to do it every day. Sometimes you've got to wake up every day and choose to forgive that person that you're offended at. Sometimes you've got to choose multiple times a day to, to, to forgive that person you're offended at, that person that you're angry with, that person that has wronged you. I know you don't deserve it. I know it's not fair. I know it's hard, but we're still called to forgive. We're still called to pray for them. We're still, we are, God, Christ here tells us that we still have to love them. And you know, the first martyr, Stephen, in, in Acts chapter 7, he said the same prayer that Christ did as, as he's being stoned to death. As, as they're hurling huge rocks at him and crushing him and killing him. I've been mad at a lot of people for a lot of things. I work with Paul. He makes me mad all the time. But he's never picked up a huge rock and thrown it at me with, a, with trying to kill me. <laughs> if he did, I probably wouldn't work here anymore. <laughs> he's never thrown a huge rock at me. But Stephen, as he's being stoned, as he's being crushed, as he's being killed, he has the same prayer that Jesus had. Lord, forgive him. He says, don't hold this sin against them. As they're murdering me, he prays, don't hold this sin against them. That's how much he loved those that were persecuting him. Those that were 
killing him. You know the best way to kill the anger or offense that you have towards someone? Pray for him. Pray for him. Don't pray that God will change them. (laughs) Don't pray that God will fix them. Just pray for him. Pray for your enemies. Every, uh, not every night, most nights we sit down with our boys and we take communion together. And when we take the body, we, when we take the body, we pray and believe that it, that, that hit because of his body was hung on the cross, died and was resurrected for us, that we, that we receive healing as we take his body. And we not only pray for healing and health in our body, but we pray for healing and health for our enemies, for those that we disagree with. And we always pray, God, bless them, bless them, heal them so that they may know your goodness. So that they may know your goodness because it's the goodness of God that leadeth men unto repentance. And so if you will begin to pray those things for people that have wronged you, people that you're offended at, he will begin to change your heart towards them. He will begin to give you his eyes. When you see them, you will see them the way that he does. He will begin to give you his heart for them and you will begin to feel love for them. It will drive out that bitterness. It will drive out that anger. It will drive out that unforgiveness. But sit down and pray for them. As hard as it is, begin to put words into praying for them that, you will find, that he will give you the love and the grace that is necessary and he will begin to change your heart. It, Jesus, when he says love your enemies here, he actually uses the word agape. Agape. There's, there's four Greek words in the New Testament that are used for love. I'm not going to get into all of them but, uh, tonight, but agape is probably the most important kind because agape is, is the divine love. It is the perfect love. It is the unconditional love. It is the complete love. It is, it is the word used in 1 John 4, 8 when it says God is love. That's the love that Jesus uses here for love your enemies, that he uses agape. This is the divine, perfect, pure, self-sacrificing. And this is a love that, that isn't necessarily a feeling. This is a love that is a choice. That I have to choose to love them. That I have to choose to lay down my life for them. That I have to choose to pray for them. In verse 45, Jesus tells us why we're doing this. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. Because he sees all of us as his kids. He sees all of us as his children. And when we begin to act this way, we, act, we begin to act like the way that our Father is acting. We are all his children. This is how we act as his true children. This agape love right here should distinguish us from the rest of the world. Nobody else does this. Who, at what other religion loves their enemies? Nobody else does this. This is, this is pretty kind of just centered on Christianity. This is kind of the only religion that does this. That, that does this. In our culture, it, people hate those that they disagree with. Nobody loves their enemies in our world. This is the one thing that should really separate us from the world is that we love our enemies. And you know, we can be on the right side and respond, respond the wrong way to people. We can be on the right side and respond the wrong way to people. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, it, when Jesus, when, he, when they come to arrest him, in, in Luke's narrative, a disciple stands up and says, should we fight them? And before Jesus can answer, Peter takes out his sword and cuts the ear off of Malachus. 
Peter was on the right side and he responded the the wrong way. And Jesus, what does he do? He picks up the ear and heals it of the one that has come to arrest him. He shows love to the guy that was on the wrong side. Because it's, listen, it's only grace and truth and love that change people. Not your sword. Not your sword. So when your enemies come, put your sword away. Put your sword away. Watch, watch that tongue. Watch what you say. Watch your tone. Watch how you respond to people. Because in essence, what you're going to do is you're going to cut their ear off and they're never going to be able to hear from you. They're not going to hear truth. I, I heard somebody say it. I can't take credit for it. But you're going, to cut, you're going to cut their ear off and they're never going to hear truth from you. You can use truth as a sword if it's not covered in love. Peter was on the right side and he responded the wrong way. Don't get so caught up in the political spirit that you forget to love those who you disagree with. You should pray for those who persecute you, ridicule you, attack you. This is love, truth and love and grace that actually will change people. We should desire to see the salvation of our enemies. Last part here, I'm going to close with this last line here. Verse 48, but you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Man, I thought loving your enemies was hard. And now you want me to be perfect as God is perfect in heaven? Wow. Wow. <laughs> Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says to imitate God and walk in love in all that we do. This right here is all about being a child of God and reflecting his image, acting like he intended for us to act when he created us. Well, Jesus, nobody can be perfect but you. His blood makes us perfect. His blood makes us perfect. He has actually imputed his righteousness on me, on you. God the Father actually now sees you through the lens of Jesus. He actually now sees you through the lens of Jesus. It, he has made, when we get saved, we become positional, positionally holy and nothing can change that. We are, now, we are now righteous. We've been made holy. We've been made perfect in his sight. The word perfect here means fully mature in growth and purpose. We are now complete. We are now lacking nothing. We, we are all... Let me say it like this. We are complete, but we are also growing more complete. We are perfect, and we are also growing more perfect. We're perfect, but we're growing more perfect. Some people would call that sanctification. That we are perfect, but we are also every day growing more and more and more in the likeness of him. Okay, I heard a really cool example the other day. So, my kids look a lot like me. Like, it's hard, I can't deny them. My kids look a lot like me. And as they grow older, they're going to look more and more and more and more like me. You know, we get saved. We start this relationship with God. And as we continue to go after him, we should look more and more and more and more and more like him. I thought that was a good example. (laughs) I thought it made really good sense to me. We've got to understand that Jesus' death and resurrection, that it perfected us completely, that we now have his righteousness. And honestly, when you get a revelation that you now have his righteousness, you actually begin to start walking it out. But if you still think that you're a dirty, rotten, no good sinner, you know what behavior you're going to reciprocate? Dirty, rotten, no good behavior. Because you think you're a dirty, rotten, no good sinner. 
right? But if you start to, <laughs> but if you start to believe that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has passed away, the new has come. If you will start to believe that about yourself, you will start acting like that. You will start living on that. If you believe that he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, you will begin to live out that righteousness. If you will begin to see yourself as a saint, you'll start living like one. You'll start living like one. We are supposed to be image bearers of God. We are supposed to represent him everywhere that we go. And, you know, the entire Sermon on the Mount is all about living like, thinking like, and talking like Jesus. So that when the world sees us, they see Jesus. When you see my kids, you see Josh Barnett. If you've met my wife or any other women in her family, they all look alike. They all have the same facial features. And so when you see me, you should see Jesus. When I see you, I should see Jesus. And, I, and listen, are we, are, we, are we perfect yet? Well, yes and no. I'm getting there. Positionally, I'm perfect and my father sees me as perfect. And everything else, I'm, you know, I'm on my way there. Did y'all get something out of this tonight? Y'all stand with me. Let's pray before we dismiss tonight. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful to you for sending your son, Jesus. We're so grateful to you that you came, Lord, and you laid down your life for us so that we could be born again, so that we could be made new, so that we could have your righteousness, Lord. God, as we leave this place, give us strength this week to love our enemies, to forgive those who have offended us, those who persecute us, those who wronged us, who come against us. God, give us the strength to forgive them. Give us the strength to love our enemies. God, teach us how to make our words be true. Show us how to make our promises like your promises because your promises are always yes and amen. And let that be the way that we see our words, that everything that we say would be yes and amen because we're trying to be like you but not on our own strength, Lord. Holy Spirit, we thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving us the strength to walk this out every day. God, we love you, we worship you, and we honor you tonight in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com. 